What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The midterm zone aren't over. They are still trying to steal a congressional seat in North Carolina. Of course, in North Carolina. Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Thursday, Thursday, the 6th of December, 2018. Hello, 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 and welcome. It is the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with our eye on what's happening here in Washington as the uh, the nation's capital gets back to work after hitting the pause button yesterday for the memorial service for President uh, H.W. Bush at the National Cathedral. Now it is back to shutdown, it is back to caravan, uh, it is back to climate change in a stunning new report released yesterday by the United Nations showing that uh, carbon emissions, they're supposed to slow down after Paris, that was the goal, but that carbon emissions are actually uh, zooming up again last year and expected to be even worse this year. Lots and lots to talk about and uh, more pressure every day on the Saudis uh, for the role of the crown prince in the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, We'll bring you up to date on all of that and look forward to hearing from you about what it all means to you. Uh, Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Last time I checked... Um, The Orange Man was not up on Twitter yet this morning, which means there's uh, lots of space up there for you. Take advantage of a sentence, your comments again about all that we're talking about on Twitter, at BP Show. You and I jump right into it, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes, yes, yes. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, Bill, it is the holiday season, which means lots of holiday cheer and parties and things like that, but it also means that you're going to have a lot of packages being delivered to your door. Yes. That's just how yes. we shop these days, right? There's no way around it. Well, oh, I found a package at my door. 
early this morning when I opened it. Oh, really? It. Okay. I left there overnight. Well, here's the thing. Nobody took it, which is good news, but yeah. that's not always the case. I know. People are coming up onto porches and yeah. stealing them. They're oh, called yeah. porch pirates is right. what uh, law right. enforcement calls them. Well, they are trying to crack down on porch pirates. They are using <laughs> fake packages that they're putting on people's uh, doorsteps that have GPS in them. Oh, and so cool. they're waiting cool. for someone yeah. to steal them. Yeah. And then when they steal them, then they have the GPS information to go track them down and retrieve the packages. That's pretty savvy. Uh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So just be careful out there. They also point out, you know, don't leave your packages out there overnight if you can help it. Don't leave your packages laying around. But, when you get them, but, bring them you in. You know, sometimes you're not home. Sure. No, no, no. Sometimes you're in That's, bed and they deliver packages. Yeah, it happens. Right. Yeah. It happens. But right. they, they just say, be vigilant and uh, try and bring them in as soon as they're delivered. Okay, Bill, I have to... I would like little packages like that blow up. I mean, not to hurt people, but to blow up and like just like cover the, them with red dust. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Like the know. bank packages that if you could... Like, they yeah, look like money, yeah, but they yeah. explode. Yeah, yeah, totally. That would be fine. Bill, I have to uh, ask you, have you been using anti-animal language? No, I love animals. All right, so do I. But PETA put out a list of uh -oh. anti-animal language and some alternatives for what you can use. For example, if you say we can kill two birds with one stone, it's anti-animal. They say you could feed two birds with one scone instead. Or I don't want to beat a dead horse. They yeah. say you should say... I don't want to feed a fed horse. It accomplishes the same thing. Or bring home the bacon, bring home the bagels, take the bull by the horns. As Peter says, take the flower by the horns. They're trying to get people I, to stop. I, I guess uh, I have to change. I am guilty of using anti-animal So am I. Yeah. So am right. I. I guess we'll have to be better about it. But I don't consider it anti-animal. Peter does, Bill. <laughs> I love Peter, but sometimes... Sometimes they go too far. They go a little too far. Yeah, right. sure. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Here we go. The Bill Press Show on a Thursday, December 6th. Hello, hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for climbing on board here. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. The capital of the free world and the home of the Bill Press Show with our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. And the action started here on Capitol Hill yesterday about 10 o'clock in the morning when the casket of uh, former President George H.W. Bush uh, taken from the Capitol Rotunda down the east steps of the Capitol and then the motorcade making its way through Washington, down past the White House, uh, through all past the memorials and the monuments, and on its way to the National Cathedral, where 3,000 people were gathered for the very moving uh, and very, uh, I thought, very appropriate uh, memorial service for President George H.W. Bush yesterday because it so reflected uh, the man himself. Um, it was at once solemn and also uh, touched with a great sense of humanity and um, display of humor. Uh, we're on top of that, and the, uh, na the nation's capital gets back to work today trying to figure out whether they're going to be able to end the year without a government shutdown. 
uh, and whether they might actually, before the end of the year, get anything done on some issues like the Dreamers, for example, or on the issue of um, protection for people with pre-existing conditions. Don't hold your breath. They haven't gotten anything done in the last two years. Unlikely, they'll be able to get themselves in gear between now and the end of the year, but uh, at least it's worth a good try. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day, a stunning climate change report put out yesterday by the United Nations showing that we are indeed in worse shape than we might have expected. Yes, out in Wisconsin, uh, Republicans are still trying to say we don't, <coughs> pardon me, we don't accept uh, the results of the uh, the midterm elections, uh, and we want to negate the power of the new Democratic governor and the new Democratic attorney general. And Washington awaits tomorrow the latest filings from Robert Mueller, special counsel Robert Mueller, these filings having to do with Paul Manafort, following, of course, yesterday before yesterday's filings on, on uh, Rob, uh, Michael Flynn, where the special counsel said Michael Flynn has been so cooperative, so helpful, that they are recommending no prison time whatsoever for Michael Flynn. Those are the top stories of the day, which we will bring you up to date on with the help of our friend Sam Berger joining us from the Center for American Progress, Addie Baird a little bit later from Think Progress as a friend of Bill, and then Aswin Subsang from The Daily Beast. Don't forget, you, of course, our most important guests of all. We want to hear from you and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. You know, Peter, I always love the, there's this little segment in the New York Times where they have the little tidbits of interest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some of them are, are, are really interesting. I found this I've morning. I've learned so much from them. I, I have too. And they're sort of like, they're little clues into some of the stories that are in the rest of the paper. Sure. Now, I, I didn't realize this, okay? Uh, waterbed manufacturers have a new target. They are new business. They're booming because? Uh, I, I, I can't imagine. Dairy farmers have discovered that waterbeds are great for cows. Cows do most of their best work making milk when they're lying down and chewing their cud. And they find that waterbeds uh, are very good. The soft structure of waterbeds protects the joints of these their animals really? while they're lying down. So, yes. So okay, dairy, dairy farms are buying waterbeds and putting them out there for their cows to okay. lie on. This is maybe It's a... softer than the, you know, hard ground. Sure. This there might be go. sort of a, a dumb question, but yeah. wouldn't a, a cow maybe break the waterbed? I mean, that's a big, apparently not. That's a big animal. Yeah, apparently not. No kidding. Maybe they're specially made water. Bags. Maybe I don't know. Right. Maybe. Uh, and also, I've been reading about this. I didn't. Uh, the other item that I thought was good in, in London, they've been doing this. Um, that uh, they're building a cross tunnel, uh, a new tunnel across London, and they're finding all kinds of stuff because London, sure, old, old, old city, <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, they did uncover. Read this a couple of days ago. A Victorian skeleton that had been uh, a man. In the mud down where the the, the river used to be, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, uh, and wearing thigh high leather boots. Oh wow! Yeah, the full skeleton and these leather boots still into up to his thigh. No kidding. Pretty classy boots. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's so, a hot new fashion trend. Hot new fashion <laughs> trend back in the days. Uh, and they also found a chamber pot. Okay. A Victorian chamber pot. 
No kidding. Yes. Bearing the inscription. Oh, boy. Oh, what I see, I will not tell. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, That's pretty the, good. Don't think the Victorians didn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, that's I like that. Uh, I like that, too. Yes. I like that. Oh, what I see, I will not tell. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Where do we start? It was, uh, it was, I'm, I hope you got to watch some of it yesterday. Um, it was a, a moment in history to watch the, all the now former living presidents of the United States and the current president of the United States sitting all in that one, in the first row of the National Cathedral for the service for former President George H.W. Bush. Again, I thought it was uh, kind of the perfect touch because while there were a lot of tributes to him and to his work uh, and to him as a person, um, there was also uh, there were a lot of funny stories about him as a person. Uh, and there was so much going on here. The drama about watching Donald Trump relate to this group was was worth watching the whole thing for because he clearly was the man out of place. To me, the service was as much about Donald. It wasn't about Donald Trump. Of course, yes, it was about Donald Trump. And if you just watch, they're all there, and the former presidents, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, and the first former first ladies, Joe Biden's in the second row with Al Gore in the second row, and they're all chatting and, and enjoying each other's company, and then Donald Trump walks up the middle aisle and takes his seat, and suddenly the whole thing just freezes. Peter, you saw this. He walks up. First of all, he walks in into the cathedral, all the way up to the cathedral, wearing his overcoat, which is kind of awkward. And then he takes his overcoat off. What's he going to do with it? Well, the Marine guard, who's not his valet, who has escorted him to his seat, he hands him the coat. <laughs> And the Marine Guard kind of looks like, what do I do with this, right? Where's the coat rack? I was yeah. Just, it was, and then, and then. You know, from, I, I know that's sort of a small thing, and it was, hey, pe- people like. They added up these small yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, but also, I mean, I, that I think is very indicative of the fact that, like, look, uh, all presidents that we've ever had have. Uh, an immeasurable ego, right? Like, that's fine. But they also are getting into it because there is a level of service that they feel called to to do. And for Donald Trump, there's just none of that. No. Everybody's there to serve him, including the Marine. Yeah. Who's there to walk him to his seat? He all of a sudden thinks he's the coat check valet. It's a little thing, but the presidential limousine goes right to the freaking front step, Right. right? Right. You don't, he doesn't have to walk far. Right. So you leave your overcoat in the car. Yeah. That's what every other pre- that's what all the other presidents did. None yeah. of them had overcoats. You Anyhow. got people to handle that for you. You're the president of the United States. Then he gets up and of course the others are all sitting there. So um he he's sort of um not sure what to do and then Melania shakes hand with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. So the president Donald Trump does as well. The next one is Bill Clinton. No. He stops right there. Says hello to Barack, hello to Michelle, boom. No hello to Bill Clinton, no hello to Hillary. She didn't clearly want to say hello to him either. She was staring straight ahead. He didn't say hello to Jimmy Carter, didn't say hello to Rosalind Carter, uh, nobody else, just Obama's because they were sitting right alongside him and then sat down. And then the rest of the service, he just sat there with his arms folded across. And, you know, while 
even when they were telling, there were some funny stories yesterday. I didn't see him smile, laugh, react at all. We've it was sort of like, this. why aren't you talking about me? Right. We've talked about this before. Have you ever seen Trump laugh? Like he's not a he, he he's not a funny guy. He's not a fun guy. It's not like he would participate in a joke. No, I've never seen him laugh. Right? No, no, never seen him laugh at all. Uh, but there were uh, some moments. I thought that uh, uh, put it this way: there were. It was like to me, every word uttered, every adjective added, every story told, in some way reflected not just on George H.W. Bush, but on Donald Trump, every single one. And that's what people were thinking about. Alan Simpson, who did a great job, a great, he and his wife were really, really good friends of George and Barbara and, and hung out a lot together. And, and he, he came up with one of the best lines, I think, maybe of, of the day about, again, this was Bush's creed. He was a man of such great humility those who travel the high road of humility in Washington, D.C. are not bothered by heavy traffic. <laughs> well, that's the one that brought the house down. Uh, uh, and to speak, certainly when you speak about humility, <clears throat> you don't think about Donald Trump. But he also, th- this is one that made people think about Trump right away. He never hated anyone. He knew what his mother and my mother always knew. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. Wow. He never hated anyone. Uh, uh, sitting, standing, he was standing right there in front of the man who hates everybody. Yeah. One yeah. of the most hateful people we've ever seen. And doesn't mind telling you he hates uh, everybody. Um, George W. Bush spoke about, well, yeah, about his, his, his dad, too. These are not so much directed to Trump, but but just just to show the kind of the spirit of the day, where uh, George Bush, who 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 of course um, talked about his father as a great patriot uh, and a good man and a good president and hardworking, and all that. he also told some funny stories about his dad wasn't exactly um, uh, so swift on the dance floor. He wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. <laughs> the man couldn't stomach vegetables. Especially broccoli. <laughs> and by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us. Uh, but he did like a good drink right to the very end. In his 90s, he took great delight when his closest pal, James A. Baker, smuggled a bottle of Grey Goose vodka into his hospital room. Apparently, it paired well with the steak Baker had delivered from Morton's. <laughs> uh, you could just see the uh, two of them. Uh, and he talked about his diving out of a out of a plane when he was in his nineties. You know, it's just it's just incredible. He used to, and he played that speed golf. We remember that. Uh, that was his whole thing. He had to. Uh, one of the um, cameramen I was talking to last night. There was a White House correspondence a, a, a holiday party last night. Talk about how things have changed. He was there in the Bush days, and he said they were all sitting around the press briefing room one evening. Um, there were about 12 or 15 people there left. And suddenly the door opened, and in walked George Bush. And he said, uh, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and he just says, basically, uh. like we're just sitting there and said, hey, you want to play horseshoes? 
And and they all, I said, sure. They all troop out to the South Lawn, and Bush had a, uh, a horseshoe set up out by the swimming pool, and he invited them all out to go play horseshoes. And the staff knew nothing, didn't know what he was going to do. They just walked down from the Oval Office, was looking for company. He also said that he would he would often um, just call up some of the White House reporters down there in the evening, early evening. Uh, you know, like whether it was I don't know who they were at the time. Chris Wallace, um, I think, uh, was there. I think um, Andrew Mitchell from NBC, and he'd call and say, "Hey, do you want to want to have a drink?" And he'd invite them up to the residence, just have a drink. You know, they'd go to the door of the Palm Room, and the Secret Service agent would be waiting to escort them up in the elevator uh, to the residence upstairs. So, I mean, that was the 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 atmosphere, if you will, around the White House, White House at the time. But back to the service yesterday. Again, everything said, uh, I believe, reflected back on Donald Trump, not in a in a good way. When his son George W. Bush said that the things that marked his father were dignity and honor. Everybody thought to themselves, <clears throat> not the guy who's there now. When the former prime minister of Canada, um, Brian Mulroney, said when he, was in, when he was president, every world leader knew that when they were dealing with the president of the United States, they were dealing with a real gentleman. You know that everybody in the cathedral said, <clears throat> not today. And finally, when John Meacham, who did a great job, the very presidential historian, the very first one to speak, he said this was, get this, this was George H.W. Bush's life creed, he said, life code. Quote, tell the truth, don't blame people. Tell the truth, don't blame people. And there is not a person in that cathedral, there is not a person watching on television who did not immediately think about the orange-haired man sitting in the front row. You could not help but do it. Uh, and uh, uh, that was the uh, service yesterday. Uh, just one related thing. We mentioned the, the day before that uh, Donald Trump had gone, uh, visited the Bush family it appears it was only George and Laura, former president and a former first lady, who were staying at the Blair House across the street from the White House. Uh, but uh, Donald Trump and Melania did go over there to visit them. Um, and um, Tuesday morning, it's 250 yards away. It's literally across the street from the White House. Um, they took the motorcade to get there. <laughs> did not walk, took the motorcade to get there, and ate car motorcade took them from the front door of the White House to the front door of the Blair House across the street. It's insane. It's totally insane. Uh, I saw the Washington Post this morning. Somebody went back and searched. Uh, Barack Obama walked over there six times during his presidency. There was a state dinner at the White House for the president of China and Barack Obama. And after the dinner was over, Obama walked Xi home to Blair House across the street and back. I mean, first of all, they clear the street. There's nobody. Right, right. There's nobody there. Nobody it's not there. Like you have to, yeah. They not only clear the street, they clear Lafayette Park. I mean, I've been there many, many times when they do this, when anybody of importance is coming into the White House. Uh, you know, we can get by with our press pass, but otherwise you can't get within a block of the White House. 
So there's no real threat. Uh, it's just, I don't know what it is. Maybe bone spurs? <laughs> that might have been it. Maybe, yeah. The doctor said, oh, you can't walk that far. You get your bone spurs. Yeah. Well, he walks that far on the golf course, doesn't he? No, I guess no, he does. I promise you, he does not. <laughs> no, he no. he's the type of guy that plays golf and drives the cart up onto the green. I'll bet you. Don't you know it? I'll bet you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of other news, too. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, a, there's a big climate change conference underway, uh, uh, sponsored by the UN, as world scientists gathering in Poland. Uh, to see how well we've done since the Paris Accords were signed a couple of years ago. Of course, Donald Trump has said he's going to pull out of the United States out of the Paris Accords. But the goal was set there to reduce, um, to start working on climate change by reducing global emissions of carbon, global carbon emissions, uh, to start off this, uh, kick off this meeting in Poland. The U.N. scientists issued a report which says we are going in just the opposite direction. Very, very troubling report. Uh, it shows that actually instead of decreasing carbon emissions, that in 2017 carbon emissions actually went up worldwide by 1.6% last year. They're predicted to, ar- to rise this year, carbon emissions, by 2.7%. Uh, and the leaders are China, up 5%, India, up 6%, and the United States, up Two and a half percent. So all the talk about getting serious about climate change, uh, all the important talk about doing something collectively to reduce global carbon emissions, um, we don't see any progress yet. And again, even more troubling is that in any future efforts, at least as long as Donald Trump is in the White House, the United States will not be part of it. A related story, Washington Post reporting this. We've talked uh, several times about the emoluments clause and the fact that Donald Trump has did not sell his uh, um, interest in Trump empire, uh, as other presidents have done, uh, which means that he still owns all of his properties and he's still making money off of his properties and he is still using the presidency to promote his properties so that he can make even more money as president uh, off the Trump empire and places like Mar-a-Lago and the Trump, the, the golf course here in Sterling, Virginia, and the hotel right down the street from the White House, the Trump International Hotel here on Pennsylvania Avenue. So the Washington Post has been digging into that. Uh, as to uh, what kind of uh, traffic the Trump Hotel has been seeing, would you be surprised to learn that the it looks like the number one people who have adopted the Trump International Hotel as their favorite place to stay and to hold events are representatives from Saudi Arabia. According to the Washington Post, in the first three months of 2017, get this, so Donald Trump is sworn in, They don't wait. The first three months, January, February, March of 2017, Saudis, representatives of the Saudis, bought and paid for 500 nights of lodging in that one hotel in the first three months of 2017. Imagine that. 500. 
What's the cost at the Trump Hotel? I don't okay. know. Five hundred bucks a night. Uh, well, well, I just did. Uh, I just got to be math. right. I just did some math. I bet you <laughs> that it's the, that they're not getting the five hundred dollar night uh, rooms. They're getting like the thousand dollar night rooms. They're getting the suites, the big stuff, right? Uh, you I, gotta I imagine, think so. Right? Well, you have to have room for your camel. Yeah, that's true. That, that is true, right? So let, I just I just did some qu- very very quick math. So yeah. let's say that these are you know about a thousand dollars a night, right? They're averaging if if that's how many, it's six rooms a night for three straight months. That's almost a million dollars in three yeah. months, right? Yeah, and like, and by the way, that doesn't count food, right? No, it doesn't count the twenty five dollar cocktails, uh, right? You know, Muslims, some Muslims sure, fair, drink. Sure, that's fair. Now, some Muslims do drink. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Right? So probably not a huge bar bill, but yeah. there's, believe me, there's some. Yeah. Right? And doesn't count incidentals and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? No, no, no. It's no. a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. And now you wonder why the president will not say anything harsh or rash about um, Mohammed bin Salman, even though he killed a, a resident of the United States, Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. There's something going on there, man. There's something. It's money to the, yes, it is Saudi money to the Pentagon, Saudi money to the U.S. Treasury. It's also Saudi money to the pockets of of, of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Uh, our, our good friend David Farenthold is the one who broke that story uh, in the Washington Post, um, won the Pulitzer Prize last year for his reporting on Mar-a-Lago, and the money that, uh, that that Donald Trump has been spending down there. Meanwhile, out in Wisconsin, they've they successfully the legislature now successfully passed a whole series of bills uh, that, in effect, cut the legs out from under the new president Tony Evers, the Democratic president, the the Republican governor, 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 governor the the uh, Wisconsin legislature still in the hands of Republicans is trying to block uh, or, or to weaken uh, the powers of the governor and the attorney general in light of um, the results of the last election before they are sworn in in January. Uh, Tony Evers spoke about this yesterday, saying, in effect, uh, what they're doing is denying the will, expressed will of the voters. I am very concerned that the 2.6 million people and that voted and, and they represent the rest of the people of Wisconsin uh, did not have their voices heard because of the actions of the, uh, of the legislature. Uh, you must say Tony Evers is not exactly a firecracker of a... Uh, I'd be a little more pissed off if I was him. Uh, I think I would, too. I think the uh, people of Wisconsin are, for sure. Listen to this, by the way. Uh, this is a story by uh, Amanda Turkle in, in the HuffPost. Republicans of the Wisconsin State Senate yesterday rushed to approve... In one day, one day, 82 of Scott Walker's appointees. God. Yeah. In one day. 82. They got 82 done. That mm-hmm. essentially means that Tony Evers, as he comes in, and, yeah. and, and, the, and the new attorney general, by right. the way, who's coming in, won't, won't have nearly as much power. They're going to be stacking the yeah. deck. Yeah. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the most outrageous examples of what they're doing in Wisconsin is, again, it's directed at the governor, but also at the attorney general. Uh, in the attorney general's race, I forget the name of the Democrat who won, but one of his big issues was, was so Wisconsin, the Republican attorney general, uh, was representing Wisconsin in an attempt to repeal the provision 
of the Affordable Care Act, which protects people with pre-existing conditions, which says you cannot deny a person in, uh, the ability to buy insurance because they have a pre-existing condition. Republicans in 20-some states, with the support of the Trump administration, are trying to repeal that provision, even though they say we're all for protecting people. No, they're not. They're out to repeal it in the courts right now. Wisconsin, one of the states. The Democrat running for attorney general said, when I'm elected, I will take Wisconsin out of that lawsuit. I will withdraw from that lawsuit. It's wrong. I don't want Wisconsin to be part of it. He won on that pledge. And one of the bills that the state legislature passed said the attorney general cannot make that decision. Only a committee of the legislature can make the decision about which lawsuits they, the state gets into and which ones they get out of. So, again, undoing the results of the election. I think it's un-American, it's unconstitutional, and um, I just hope somehow they can go to the courts and block it. Uh, but it is ugly stuff. And by the way, Michigan is talking about doing the same thing. And of course, we remember two years ago, the legislature of North Carolina did the very same thing before Roy Cooper came in as a new governor of North Carolina. Dirty stuff. We have to can't win an election. What you do is you undo it or you try to steal it. We're seeing that, too, in uh, Georgia and saw that in Georgia. And we're seeing it now in North Carolina. We've got to talk more about that later in the show, which we will take a quick break. Sam Berger joins us from uh, American Progress, Center for American Progress. Get the latest on the Robert Mueller report here on this Thursday edition of the Bill Press Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, December 6th. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us today, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, or on television. We are there with you to bring you up to date on the news of the day. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I want to start off by uh, just doing you a favor. I know it's always tough the holiday season, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, or whatever, uh, trying to figure out. Uh, what you're going to get for gifts for those special people in your life. I'm going to make it easy for you. Just go to BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to the Carol Press Scarves. Nothing better in this cold weather, wherever you are in this great country of ours, than a hand-woven, one-of-a-kind, each one hand-woven work of art by my wife, Carol Press. Uh, hand-woven scarf. This one, uh, those of you watching on television or online can see um, beautiful collection of blues and green, uh, which goes with just about anything. But there are lots of colors, lots of designs to choose from, uh, either in rayon chenille, like this one, uh, very warm and fuzzy, or not fuzzy, but just very warm and comfortable, or uh, bamboo, which are beautiful, beautiful colors as well. Check out the website, BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to the Carol Press Scarves for this holiday season. And with that, we welcome Sam Berger from the Center for American Progress here to the studio. Uh, bring us up to date on the Robert Mueller investigation and other good stuff. Hi, Sam. It's nice to see you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for coming in uh, this early in the day to start start us off. Uh, before we dive into new stuff, some of the stuff we've already been talking about, generating Comments along the way. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, somebody pointing out uh, about the George H.W. Bush funeral yesterday. Uh, I'm surprised that the orange one did not get vaporized and dip disappear by all of the goodwill and love present in the church yesterday. Uh, also, uh, 
with the Wisconsin stuff, this is a very good point that KG makes. Republicans have no end game here. They are done in Wisconsin for the future. And this is something that we've seen play out before, right? When the Republicans go for this massive power grab, they end up paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, game over on Twitter says the Wisconsin attorney general needs to start investigating all Republican representatives for corruption. There is no question about it that the GOP are corrupt. The question is only when will they get caught or investigated and charged? And this is sort of a stretch, but I like this. We were talking about how Donald Trump is not a fun guy. Uh, Janice on Twitter says, you guys made me laugh saying that Trump isn't a fun guy. It made me think of fungi, the mushroom, which also <laughs> makes us think of what Stormy Daniels said about Donald Trump. Don't go there. Not gonna go there. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Janice, thank you very much for pointing it out. Donald Trump is not a fun guy. Uh, but if you have any comments, you want to find us on Twitter. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You know, the other little human note from the uh, funeral yesterday was, uh, remember during the service for John McCain that um, Michelle Obama had a little cough mm-hmm. and that President Bush handed her uh, a cough drop. Uh, people saw that and then they were wondering afterwards, what did he hand her? What did he hand her? It turned out to be cough drop, which she needed. So when he arrived yesterday, President George W. Bush, he shook shook hands. By the way, unlike Donald Trump, he shook hands with every one of the former presidents and first ladies in the front row. Uh, and we got when he got to Michelle Obama, he reached into one pocket and, and picked something out, put it in the other hand, and then handed it to her. And it turned out he was handing her a throat lozenge. So they sort of had this thing back and forth now that uh, he watches out for her, knows he's going to bring something, cause she'll, uh, but she'll need it. So, Sam... Um, Robert Mueller coming out with um, a filing on Michael Flynn the other day saying this guy's been so cooperative he weren't going to recommend, we're going to recommend no prison time at all for him. Uh, What does that tell you about what Michael Flynn might have told Mueller? We're all guessing. And what it means for the Mueller investigation? Well, um, I think first of all we should put this in the context of the last week, 10 days in the Mueller investigation, which have been – Enormous. Yes. Right. So uh, first point. we had the the leak, presumably from <laughs> Jerome Corsi, who is uh, the father of birtherism, a conspiracy theorist, also um, the person that Roger Stone went through to try and get to WikiLeaks. So he he leaked a draft plea agreement that he had been given by Mueller. And that basically showed that Mueller has evidence of collusion. So we already knew that there was collusion. We have the June 9th meeting. We have the emails. That's the Russian government saying Let's meet to talk about how we can help you win the election. The Trump team saying, great, let's do it at our place. Then they meet. That's collusion. Right. Whether or not exactly who knew, how much dirt they got, that's an open question. But So on that yeah. point, mm-hmm. Corsi was the go-between between, between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks allegedly, to mm-hmm. see what they had. Mm-hmm. Corsi finds out. He tells Roger Stone. Roger Stone insists he did not tell anybody in the Trump, uh, Trump uh, team about that. Well, right. How can so, we believe that? Exactly. So then, so so we already knew collusion. Then now we know that Mueller has evidence of collusion, which is exactly this this, this communication, Roger Stone. And so Mueller yeah. tells us Roger Stone, who is in contact with senior Trump officials and Trump, and that Corsi knew this. And people should realize this about indictments or plea agreements. You know, when prosecutors draft it, they're not just sort of telling you all the facts that they know. You know, Jerome Corsi, who had 
eggs for uh, breakfast this morning and you know really likes long walks on the beach. The information there is relevant to what's going on. So when he tells us Stone is having these conversations and Jerome Corsi knows Stone is having these conversations, what he's basically telling us is like there's no way that Stone didn't yeah. tell them. And what we have here is Stone goes to Corsi and says, you know, reach out to Assange, figure out what he has and tell me. Corsi tells him it's going to happen in October. Podesta is going to be involved. We should start focusing on Hillary's health. People haven't focused as much on that third one, hmm. in part because I think all of us that are, uh, you know, sort of rational political actors or rational thinkers kind of viewed the, the Hillary health stuff as nonsense. But on the right wing in the fever swamp, that was a big thing. And this was the first information, basically, that they got. This was a preview of what was going to happen. And WikiLeaks later did drop information that they then ginned up to claim that mm-hmm. Hillary had health problems. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's sort of like, to be honest, I follow this very closely. Uh, you know, you can pretty much ask me anything about the investigation and, and I can tell you what happened, what's going on with it. Roger Stone's lies, I really can't keep track of them all <laughs> because there's just so many of yeah, them. weave yeah. into each other and there's no coherent thread. He just lies. If you ask him, you know, today is it A? He says, no, it's not A. And then tomorrow you say, is it not A? No, he says, actually, I always said it was A. It's just, and it's not worth it because you know he's lying, keeping track of it all. But now we have clear evidence. We have the emails. Um, so... First thing we know, we now know is Mueller has the evidence. People say there's no collusion, there's no collusion, there's no collusion. Can't say it anymore. We yeah. have the evidence. Mueller has separate evidence. There was collusion. Now the question is how much collusion and who exactly in the Trump circle was involved. So the second thing we found out was with the uh, uh, the Cohen plea deal. Yes. And there we found out that the president is compromised, compromised by a foreign power. Why is that? We find out that while Trump was telling us, I have no business deals in Russia, nothing to do with Russia. Russia never even heard of it. In fact, he and his personal lawyer were negotiating with Kremlin officials to build a tower in Moscow, a Trump Tower in Moscow. Not just that, they were going to offer Putin a $50 million penthouse for free to sweeten the deal. So they're having these conversations. So first, he's compromised because he's got all this money now on the line. And and in Russia, if you're going to make a big deal, it's the Kremlin that makes the call. It's not the private yeah, business. And they were negotiating with Kremlin and they representatives. Were, they knew that. They were negotiating yeah. with them. Yeah. But then you're doubly compromised because when you lied, the Kremlin backed up your lie. They were doing that. And so they know that you lied. So he's compromised, one, on the money, and he's compromised, two, on the lie. And this is all happening in real time during the campaign. And, you know, that's a shocking fact. It's something I think that... that um, uh, we as a uh, that we in general the public hasn't really come to grips with. Our president is compromised. Certainly was compromised. Mm-hmm. We have every reason to believe he continues to be compromised. You know, based on what we saw in Helsinki, based on the way in which he's he's basically advancing Russian foreign policy from the White House, uh, despite the best efforts of of I think career officials and others to try and advance American interests. Pretty clear whose side he's on. So those are the first two bits of information. Then we have Flynn coming out, and I I should say we also have. Manafort coming out on Friday, which could make uh, yeah, all coming the rest up, of this right. yeah, yeah all the rest of this look look small, and we can talk a little bit about that. But on the Flynn side, you know, we did learn some very interesting things. So one, we learned that there's at least one, maybe two other investigations that are going on that Flynn right. helped with. Now we don't know what they are. It's one of these things where it says, uh, you know, Flynn helped us in three investigations. Investigation one. Redacted, 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 redacted. And people said, oh, you know, I'm a little, it's too bad this is all redacted. We don't know what's going on. One important thing is there's a federal judge who didn't see the redacted version, actually seen what's going on, and now knows. I mean, that makes the cover-up harder. Every time more people Mm -hmm. understand what's going on, the information that's out there that Mueller's gotten, it makes it that much harder for Trump 
um, to cover it up. So that's an important point. I think the other thing, though, that, that people haven't paid as much attention to is, is Mueller strongly suggested uh, that this was the quid pro quo. And when this, I mean the conversations between Flynn and Kislyak, uh, the Russian ambassador. So remember, the basically what Flynn has been accused of is lying about, about convers- conversations he had with Kislyak. About sanctions. About sanctions, yes. Exactly. But what, um, the Mueller, what Mueller tells us is that those conversations were material to their investigation into contacts with people associated with the campaign. Not the transition, but the campaign. And so what he seems to be suggesting is, look, this is basically the quo. There's the quid pro quo. I'm giving you the quo. And raises the question, well, what was the quid? Russia's assistance uh, uh, during the campaign. And we know, in fact, that Russia was always asking from the Trump campaign, help us with sanctions. You know, the June 9th meeting that happened in Trump Tower, the Magnitsky Act, the adoptions, mm-hmm. the stuff that they're talking about, that's basically sanctions. That's the Russian code word for sanctions. So, you know, we're, we're now seeing this through line where Mueller is telling us, I got the goods on collusion. There was collusion. The president is compromised and there's a quid pro quo going on. So this has just been an incredible, I guess it's now 10 days maybe. And uh, we have coming up the the Manafort and happy to chat a little bit about. Uh, I want to get to that, yeah. but I want to slow you down just just on the point because you mentioned um, with the Flynn, the, the key line, as several people pointed out, in the Flynn filings was that senior government officials should be held to a higher standard, mm-hmm. right? How many people <laughs> are above the National Security Advisor yeah. in the White House that that could refer to? Well, uh, there's obviously one person that we're all thinking of, Donald Trump. Uh, but I think it's also worth thinking about Pence. And so remember... Whoa. Remember that Pence... The claim is that Flynn got fired because he lied to Pence. To Pence, yeah, that was always somewhat odd, because in fact we know that that Kushner and others were telling Flynn to have these conversations. He was communicating with Mar-a-Lago. So remember these conversations with Kislyak. They had, I think, five separate phone calls. You don't have five separate phone calls with someone if you're the one that's making the decisions. What's happening? You call him and say, here's the deal. He goes and checks back. He calls and says, well, we want to do this deal. So you go and check back. In fact, that's what we found out was happening. He was checking back with Mar-a-Lago. And so the notion that basically... Who? Exactly. Who at Mar- So who is Flynn talking to? And the claim that somehow Pence doesn't know, everybody else is in on this, and the guy running the transition is, is kept on the outside, really, it's it's... Mm. It stretches credulity, yeah. to say the least. And so, you know, this raises some real concerns. Now we know what we know from uh, the most recent filing is not just that the problem wasn't just that Mueller or excuse me, that Flynn was lying to the FBI, but that what he was lying about was material to the investigation. That means that the underlying conduct, the thing that he was doing was a promise, not just that he lied. There's a reason he lied. It was a cover up, cover up of something worse. And this claim that Pence didn't know. And remember, Pence is the reason that Flynn's on the transition team. He's the one who brings him in after they kick out Christie. So, you know, I think that people haven't focused as much on him, and I don't, you know, it's one of these things, there's so many different threads, but, you know, it raises a question of exactly, you know, what did Mike Pence know and when did he know it? Uh, all right, so uh, Mike Pence, I haven't heard anybody else mention that Mike Pence, that we should be talking about Mike Pence. One other name that comes up, uh, of course, Donald Trump, as you mentioned, is Jared Kushner, mm-hmm. right? On the list, Absolutely. Sure. Oh, yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, so... Because he had his own conversations with Kislyak. Uh, yeah, I mean, so remember the Kushner, 
actually had a meeting where he was like, hey, let's set up a back channel. Yeah, right. Through the Russian embassy. I mean, so why do you do that? The only reason you do that is to avoid uh, U.S. intelligence being able to figure out what it is that you're saying. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is you kind of step back. And, you know, this is something that, that we at CAP through the Moscow Project have been working on really since the beginning. And when it started, everyone was sort of like, well, this sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory. You know, you guys should be walking around with tinfoil hats. But now the conspiracy theorists are the people that says there's nothing going on here. Mm-hmm. And you think about some of the revelations that we had and what it would be like today. What would happen today if we hadn't known this? And suddenly news breaks. Jared Kushner tried to set up secret channel to talk to Russia during the transition. The world would explode, and rightly so. If, they, if it suddenly came out, you know what? The senior leaders of the Trump team were contacted by Russia. They said, hey, we want to help your campaign. Let's meet. And it happened. The world would explode, and rightly so. It's just because this stuff came out early when people were still trying to figure out what was going on. People hadn't wrapped their minds around exactly what was happening. And that stuff has now kind of faded into the back, not even faded into the background, but it's kind of become facts that we all know. And so it, it is, it's sort of incredible. You know, if, if you want to terrify yourself or shock yourself, you should just go back and read some articles that so, were dropping uh, uh, from what we So from what we've learned since, when you go back and put it all together, those events take even more significance. Oh, yeah. And, and literally right. every single excuse that they had, which everyone said, that sounds like a lie. It's all been proven to be lies. All right. So there's someone else uh, that we haven't talked about yet. Um and it came up yesterday in a conversation with uh, Andrew Napolitano, uh, Fox and Friends, mm-hmm. their legal analyst on, on, on Fox, who once in a while discovers a nugget that, that happens to be somewhat true uh, and is willing to say so. Uh, he appeared last night uh, with Dan Abrams uh, on his, what, where is his show, Peter? On uh, Sirius XM. Sirius XM, right. Uh, not, not on television, but on radio. And um, was asked by Dan Abrams about somebody else. Here's that little exchange. Do you think that any of Trump's inner circles now going to get indicted? Yes. I don't know who, but I do know that Donald Jr. has told friends he expects to be uh, indicted. Do you expect he'd be indicted? Yes. Uh, Sam? Yeah. Well, so first of all, uh, one of the most interesting uh Parts of working in this area is you find yourself agreeing with folks that you didn't necessarily <laughs> expect. The number of times I've I've now read a a Bill Crystal tweet and said, "Oh, that makes some sense." It's, it's wild. <laughs> what, what a world we're living would in. Now it blows your mind. You could have right. made a lot of money off of me five years ago betting <laughs> on whether that would ever be the case. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he's in ser- he is serious legal. So first of all, Don Jr. Don Jr. We've known that he's committed a crime for over a year. I mean. He violated campaign finance. You can't go to a foreign adversary and say, "Hey, can you give us a little? Yeah, can you give us a little freebie help? (laughs) Like, it would just be great if you would go, you know, and and get us some dirt on our opponent." I mean, so basically, you can't solicit a thing of value from foreign national or foreign government. Very clear. Well, let me let me if if I could just interrupt, but let me just ask you this: How much longer until that becomes the defense that this is not that big of a deal and it shouldn't be illegal? Because once it becomes clear that this is what they did, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the immediate pivot is, well, this well, was no big deal. I was trying well, to win an election, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But they're also saying, remember, they, their first defense was, this is no big deal. We were just talking about adoption. Right. Yeah, just take <laughs> a right. meeting. Just right. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the funny thing is, so these, these guys don't have much uh, message discipline other than the uh, angry Dem- 17 angry Democrats. I can never remember what number he uses. 
Uh, and, oh, yeah. And no collusion, uh, which has to be in, <laughs> in all caps. If you don't right. put it in all caps, it doesn't count. Uh, that we mm-hmm. can't believe you. But if it's in all caps, he's, then, okay. Oof. I mean, it seemed like there's a lot of evidence of collusion, but since it's all capital letters, I guess you must be wipes right. Wipes it out. Yeah, you're really serious about it. But, uh, you know, so we've known that he's committed a crime. Why does it take so long? Why haven't they, why haven't they tar- nailed well, Don Jr.? I mean, I think so. They're building up to it? Yeah, I it? mean, I think the, the thing to remember is that, you know, Robert Mueller's in a unique circumstance in which the person that he is going after holds awesome powers uh, within the United States and within the context of law enforcement, right? The power, yeah. even even if it would be um, illegal or potentially impeachable to fire him, uh, you know, you know the, the pardon power. I mean, so there's a lot going on. And so I think that what Mueller has been he doing is— He could even fire the attorney general. Uh, yeah, for, for example. And, and install a crony. How yeah, crazy right. would that be? We'd be talking about that for, for years. <laughs> that would never happen, right? <laughs> uh, but, and, and, and so I think that you know, what he's doing is very smart. I mean, he's, and this is the way that, this is also the way you roll up crime families. This is the way prosecutors work. Yeah, you start small and you go big. Yeah. And I think you know, it's got this added layer of, generally speaking, um, you know, when you're going after a, a mob boss, he doesn't get to say, well, actually, um, I'm firing your boss and you know, putting somebody else in. So there is that added layer. But the general approach makes a lot of sense. And also, obviously, if you're going to go after the president's son, you want to have the best possible case. You probably want to have all the crimes you're going to charge him with as well. I mean, let's remember, Mm -hmm. this is just, I'm just saying that we have one crime that you can get from Don Jr.'s Twitter thread. But presumably, there are other crimes that he didn't tweet about. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we know that they almost certainly lied uh, to Congress in his testimony. And this is actually a very interesting part. You know, someone made this point Maybe the, one of the best things that could have happened to the Mueller investigation, in hindsight, is going to be Nunes and his sham oh, investigation. Yeah, yeah. Because basically, he brought people in and he said, "Wink, wink. You ever talk to Russia?" And they said, "No, never heard of it." And they said, "Great. You know how terrible is Hillary?" And then they just sat around and chatted about that for an hour. And so it made people feel very comfortable lying, right. because here they were in this safe space so, that was so created Nun- for them to lie. Right. In a sense, Nunes set them up. Right. Brought them in. Made them feel at home, say you can basically say anything. We're on your side, right? He created a perjury trap. He's the only one that ever created. I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, in one sense, it's wild. In another sense, if you've watched Nunez, I mean, Nunez, his career or his last two years has just been a series of own goals, right? In which he tries to do something. It back, uh, backfires spectacularly. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. all learn a little bit more about his incompetence uh, and the corruption, his corruption, as well as the corruption of the administration. And so- this is another example. And the key thing that's going to happen is, you know, come January 3rd, it's going to be Adam Schiff who's in charge of that committee. And Adam Schiff will be able to send all those transcripts over to Mueller. And in some cases, you know, Mueller will – Mueller at this point doesn't necessarily know everything that was said to Congress, obviously. He doesn't have the transcripts necessarily. But he'll get them and then he'll cross-check them. And one of the things that people have told you when you have a meeting with Mueller or his team, I should say, yeah. you know, they show up with five binders – and I was making the joke earlier about they didn't put in what Jerome Corsi had for breakfast that morning. Mm-hmm. But based on what we've heard, they could. They know. Yeah. And they go through everything that you've ever done. And so any of these folks that lied, and you know, remember, that's what Cohen is getting nailed for now, lying to Congress. Any of these folks that lied should be very concerned. And guess what? There's a lot of them that lied to Congress. A lot of them that lied to the American people, but a lot of them that also lied to Congress. And they now uh, have our legal risk. Just about a minute left. Um is Robert Mueller in jeopardy because of Matt Whitaker of losing his job or being having his wings trimmed? Uh, and is Mueller nearing the end or just kind of in the middle of his investigation? Yeah, great question. So on the first one, I think Mueller is always in danger because you have an erratic president 
who's shown that he has no respect for the rule of law, that he views the Department of Justice as his personal plaything. Um, I think that's why it's so important to pass this legislation, bipartisan legislation, to protect the president. Right, right. I think if there's anything that folks out there are wondering, like, what can I do to help? Call your senator. Tell them to support this legislation. You know, right now, Jeff Flake is holding up all the judges in order to, to make it happen. And, and Mitch McConnell's refusing because he doesn't want to protect Mueller. Yeah, it's a legislation to protect Robert Mueller. Uh, bipartisan, you said Jeff Flake and uh, and Chris Coons. from. Uh, so that second question about whether Mueller's wrapping up, save that for the next time. <laughs> hey, Sam, so, so such a great rundown of what's going on. Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks for coming uh, You can follow Sam at AmericanProgress.org. We'll be right back with Addie Baird here as a friend of Bill. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Robert Mueller. He's up tomorrow with filings for Paul Manafort. Could blow the whole thing wide open. Washington tense with anticipation to see what the latest is in the Mueller investigation. Hello, everybody. And uh, we'll preview that uh, for you today during the show. Of course, it is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and the studio right here on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action America, I mean Washington, rather, getting back to work today after hitting the pause button yesterday for the memorial service at the National Cathedral for former President H. George H.W. Bush. We'll bring up to date on the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all. You know, um, we can only do it. takes a village, of course, here. And we have the village uh, not only peopled by me and Cyprian and Peter and Ray every day, but uh, we need the help of even more friends. Addie Baird joins us today as a friend of Bill to help us through this uh, second hour together. Uh, Addie Baird, of course, from Think Progress, political reporter. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Everything good? Everything's good. How are you? I'm great. 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 <laughs> Have you recovered from the midterm? The mid the thing over the the midterms aren't over yet. No, they're super not. We thought um, they were. We thought they were. They're not. And the thing is, is it's like Every day where I'm like, all right, maybe now we can have like a quiet week, like a, a few days to recover it. Then it's like 2020 starts to like seep in. Silly, silly you. <laughs> silly you. Yeah. There well, are 20, no more 20, quiet weeks. 2020 Never. is seeping in, but then yeah. 2018 is- Is not over. Is not over. Yeah. No. Yeah. We still got uh, Republicans still trying to steal a couple of elections. So we got lots to talk about, we which sure we do. will. And with your help, send us your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP Show, uh, as eager as Eddie and I are to get started, we'll take a quick break because... 
But first, this <laughs> is the full out there. Press. All righty, just All a couple right. of other stories making news. Hey, here's a, a groundbreaking statement. Facebook right. is, in fact, bad. A UK committee has been taking a look at Facebook and how they've been using data, and it is possibly worse than we thought. Parliament's uh, media committee yesterday accused Facebook of cutting special deals with certain app developer developers to give them more access to data. Now, of course, when we talk about data that Facebook has, we're talking about our personal information. So they are actually actively working to put this stuff out there. In fact, there are some documents that say that company executives at Facebook discussed how they were keeping the company's collection and exploitation of user data from its own users. In other words, they were collecting call records, text messages, and things like that if you run Facebook on Google's Android operating system. And of course, they never asked for your permission. Listen, every day there's another bad story about Facebook. Every day. I think they could go under. We'll see. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg putting out this word that we got to do this investigation of George Soros' finances. Yeah. I mean, you know, she sounds like Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. You know, nothing drives people crazier, Bill, than uh, free stuff. Free stuff. Oh, you mean, yeah. Anything. And sure. yesterday, here in the Washington, D.C. area, just, just across the river over in Arlington County in Clarendon. Have you been to Clarendon? It's a very busy area. It's like they just built up this neighborhood, right? But it's very, very busy. Well, yesterday, Cheesecake Factory was offering a free slice of cheesecake to celebrate its 40th birthday. <laughs> which means... People lined up. There was heavy traffic. They were double parked. Multiple fights broke out. In fact, police were called to the Cheesecake Factory (laughs) to break up more than one fight. And in fact, one of them needed an ambulance to show up to to tend to someone who was (laughs) injured in a fight. People... For a piece of cheesecake? For a free piece of cheesecake. People lost their damn minds. I mean, come on, people, right? How much does it cost, a piece of cheesecake, yeah. right? $2.50? Right. I don't know. I mean, this is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump... Still defending the Saudis. Maybe now we know why the Washington Post reports that the Saudis have been spending a lot of money, a lot of money at the Trump International Hotel here in Washington, D.C. And, of course, a good deal of that money is going right into Donald Trump's pockets. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you today, Thursday, December 6th. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our perch right here in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building. We start out here, but we end up right alongside of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also joining you on television, of course, coast to coast on Free Speech TV and on the radio out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area on WCPT. Thanks so much for being part of the program. And don't forget, we always want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day uh, here on on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Let's see 
Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't have any uh, tweets from the Orange Man yet this morning, so the coast is clear so far. It's kind of late. I know it's late. What's up with him? Is he know, sleeping? Maybe he time? slept in. Is he sleeping in this morning? I don't know. Right. Don't. Yeah. Uh, is out playing golf already? But anyway, the point is, the coast is clear. Get your tweets in at BP <laughs> Show. Eddie Baird here with us from uh, Think Progress. <laughs> Uh, on all the political news of the day. Hi, Eddie. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. So how about it? Uh, yeah, the midterms we thought were over on November 6th. They're not. Uh, Democrats have already racked up 40, a gain of 40 seats in the House. Uh, and it looks like in North Carolina... They might end up with another one. I mean, it's hard to say, um, you know, it. Th- they need to hold a new election, uh, basically. Um, I, I think that's a pretty the only way to objective it, statement it? at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that it's clear. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, it basically looks like Republicans in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District um, tried to actually steal this election. There are a couple of people who have... Uh, now come forward and said that they were paid to pick up absentee ballots. Um, There was a woman who said that she had only filled in um, for like sheriff and another uh, local candidate. And obviously um, it wasn't, you know, her ballot was not sealed. This person came to her door and said, well, we're picking up absentee ballots. And, you know, this is all fraud. You can't do that. You know, that is a real. Uh, it is against the law for it you. It is absolutely against the law. I mean, now, if you are invalid and an invalidism and you cannot personally deliver your ballot, um, you can request or um, designate someone like your son or your daughter or somebody right. to deliver. And you sign as to who is authorized to deliver this ballot, right? But right. this ra- hapat random door-to-door, oh, I'll take your ballot in for you. I'll take your ballot in for you. Hello. Yeah, and no, sorry, I think I misspoke. They were uh, mail-in ballots, not absentee ballots. So, sorry, these are right. People, yeah. right, so these are people living in the district who yeah. can – who. Yeah. You know, either they need to be like you were saying, you can have them delivered by a family member under certain circumstances or, or someone that you designate, um, or, or you need to put it in the mail. You can't have someone mm-hmm, picking it up. Mm-hmm. They were These ballots were unsealed, which is a really important point mm-hmm. because they can then be tampered with. Um, and there have been some really smart political science folks. What's his name? Mark Harris is the candidate, right? Yes. And he um, had hired this political, this consultant mm-hmm. to do this. And it's reported that he, the Republican candidate, may have also done this in the primary yes. where he won the primary against an incumbent Republican congressman. So that's what I was so going to say. So if the primary is fraudulent, one, right. if they stole the primary and stole the general election, I don't even know what you do at that point. And there have been some really smart you start from uh, scratch. You have academics to. who have. Um, well, of course, you put him in jail. Right. I don't. Right. Who have basically been able to find the irregularities mm-hmm. in mail in ballots that it just it doesn't add up. He basically um, is the percentage uh, compared to the rest of his margins uh, in the district. Um, you know, he's getting in certain areas like almost 100 percent of mail in Votes, it's just the, the abnormalities are really, really striking. It makes no sense. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, at this point, you have to start from the beginning. Like there's there's really yeah. no other there's no other path that 
that they can take. Uh, and the North Carolina Board of Elections has refused to certify the election right. so far because the evidence is so strong. And it's just continually mounting. I saw someone on yeah. Twitter saying yesterday, you know, it really feels like as that, that this story is about to just take over as much as a story can take over the news cycle at this point. Right. Like it's really about to, it just feels like it's been creeping and creeping and creeping. And the last few days there have been these people who have come forward and said that they were paid to pick up mail-in ballots. Right. It's crazy. Uh, I, I do have to say uh, to me, it, it's so deliciously ironic that with all of Donald Trump's talk about voter fraud, um, with Hillary and boom, 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 and everything, and all of Paul Man, uh, Paul Ryan's talk about voter fraud in California, and then of course you got Chris Kobach talking about massive voter fraud, all the controversy. The only one example of real voter fraud that has surfaced in this year is a Republican <laughs> member, a uh, candidate in North Carolina. Right. right, and you know, I think it's really important for us to Who differentiate. Clearly, is trying to steal right. this election. I think it's really important for us to differentiate between voter fraud and election fraud. This is election fraud. Yeah. Voters have done nothing wrong. You yeah. know, these people, no, the women, you. the, uh, the very good, women who yeah, have been picking, who have come forward and said that they were told well, yeah, to, yeah. that they were paid to pick up yeah, the mail-in right. ballots. You know, it's really interesting. There was um, a couple stories of. Um, voters who had someone had them come to their house and they were like, yeah, just totally the they were lied to. They were they thought that they were doing what they were supposed to do. This was not this was not a voter doing anything wrong. This was not a voter trying to swing an election. This was a candidate trying to steal an election. That is election fraud. Right. And that is a le- obviously a legitimate problem and that is not something that Donald Trump or Chris Krobach or any of uh you know their allies have ever railed against right now um th- it's also so that's North Carolina uh, let's talk a little bit about Georgia yeah. yeah I mean this is one that so yesterday finally they resolved the who's going to be the new Secretary of State uh, I believe they called it on oh, on Tuesday, Tuesday night but okay. you know uh um, this didn't get as much attention as I think it should have. I agree. I, you know, I, it really. We so, talked a lot about the governor's race. Yes. So I, obviously, um, you know, the governor's race was one of the the governor's race between uh, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams was one of the biggest races in the country. Um, you know, this last election cycle, um, and Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State. A lot of the. Um, you know, part of why this was such a closely watched election was similar to Chris Kobach, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Having a secretary of state oversee their own election yeah. Is, yeah. creates major conflicts of interest. Um, Kemp ultimately did win. Stacey Abrams pointedly refused to concede, uh, but ended her campaign. Um, and so, you know, there the actual secretary of state's race to replace Brian Kemp went to a runoff. Um, and that was held two days ago. The Republican candidate um, did end up winning um and he has basically vowed to carry on brian kemp's uh legacy of voter suppression and voter fraud and i think this is going to be a story to watch for a long time you know what happens in a state when you know something like like these are close races something like half of people who voted in 2018 don't believe that brian kemp rightfully should be in the governor's mansion. Right. And, you know, then you have a secretary of state who has vowed to carry on everything that Brian Kemp made his name with. And he made his name by doing all kinds of things uh, of, of examples of voter suppression or efforts of voter suppression, like 
um, reducing the time for early voting, like uh, cutting back the number of polling places, and like famously refusing to certify 50,000 people who had registered to vote, but they found little minor uh, errors maybe in 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 that in that form, right? So right. that was Brian Kemp's attempts at voter suppression. Right. But here's what got me is that, I, and someone raised this uh, point with a question with me yesterday. So there was a runoff for Secretary of State. Was Stacey Abrams out there and and her whole? Ground movement, you know. Stacey Abrams was were really, really Stacey Abrams was really involved. In she the was, Secretary of State's yep, race, she endorsed right. um, his, his his name is Sean Barrow. Um, I believe his first name is John. I'm sorry if that's yeah. incorrect. Um, but she endorsed him. She was giving interviews about why he was the best candidate. You know. Okay. But it's it was really interesting. I thought that he sort of at, at times um, toned down the rhetoric in an interesting way. In his digital ads, he talked a lot about how he was the candidate for people who are fed up with, um, you know, the way that recent elections have gone. He would make sure to make he would he would work to make it easier to vote, not harder in person. He talked a lot more about uh, his opponent's um, tax debts, and he really kind of ran a little bit of a different race in higher profile appearances. And yeah. I f- think that that, frankly, you know, now that this race is over, I think we're, it's it's easier to criticize him. But, you know, I think that's a failure. I think that, that yeah. he should have run this race as earnestly as he could to say that he would be a champion of voting rights in Georgia. Yes, and I, I, I agree. And I think, um, I, I think... The whole Democratic Party there, and to the extent that there is a strong one in Georgia, and Stacey Abrams. I mean, I th- we didn't hear much about this runoff, and this should have been huge. Yeah, it, it I don't think that that was. Should have had national significance, I think, and and Stacey all Abrams of that. Fault. And, but, but all that energy and movement and excitement that we saw about Stacey Abrams should have shifted, I think, to the Secretary of State's office uh, race runoff. And it didn't. Right. And it's we hard. We never talked about it. We didn't. It didn't get much national attention. I think at it's all. hard because, you know, but there's a huge. like we were just saying, like things move so quickly that yeah. like, you know, the national press left Georgia and, right. you know, it, it, there is another fire to put out and there's another. And I think I come from the, the point of view that. Our democracy has to function right before we can really even talk about anything else. And it's not working right. And we should be talking about voting rights and voter suppression all the time because otherwise your voters don't trust you to do anything. And it's really interesting that both of these stories really are about voting rights. This The, the central... Um, the central argument that Brian Kemp and folks like him make uh, in an effort to suppress voters is that they're trying to prevent fraud. There's no evidence, you know, voter fraud is so, so rare. Um, Voter suppression is extremely real. Election fraud is extremely real. And voter fraud is used as this constant argument on the right to suppress votes. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's 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 really I think it's malpractice for reporters and for uh, activists on the left to to not really focus in, even when these races feel like small potatoes, they're not. 
like Brian Kemp being the sure. Secretary of State absolutely had an influence on, Secretar- on that governor's Secretary race. of State in Georgia is not small potatoes. It's not small potatoes. No. And I think that, you know, I think that there's a and, sort of misunderstanding of how to cover uh, more local stories in D.C. All right. Uh, let's go to the Midwest. Is there any way that um, the incoming governor, Tony Evers, uh, or the incoming members of the state legislature can undo what Republicans are trying to do to undo the results of the 2017 election. Tony Evers was asked about this yesterday. Again, he is not the most charismatic or dynamic candidate or or a politician we've ever heard, but he did say um, that they're, they're basically the Republicans are trying to reverse what the voters voted for. I am very concerned that the 2.6 million people that voted and and they represent the rest of the people of Wisconsin uh, did not have their voices heard because of the actions of the the legislature. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the vote was pretty clear, right, what people voted for, and the legislature has taken that power away. Um, I thought Evers gave a pretty good, well, as far as, as, like you said, he's not a super charismatic guy. I thought he gave one of his best quotes about this on CNN the other night. He said, this is just a, this is just a hot mess. And it made me laugh, but that's really what it is. It's, um, you know, for, for any of your listeners who don't know, this is basically um, what happened in North Carolina two years ago. Yeah, um, same thing. It's the exact same thing. And... The legislature passed this bill yesterday, and Scott Walker has made it clear that he's going to sign this into law. So to no your doubt. to your question of whether he can undo this, um, Republicans will still have a majority in the legislature um, once he takes office. So the legislature itself will do nothing about it. Um, and the uh, two years ago, like I mentioned in North Carolina, there were a bunch of lawsuits that are still ongoing. Um, There will be a bunch of lawsuits around this, but it's really hard. It's been two years since um, North Carolina Republicans made this this same power grab, and it's just a slow process. And so, yes, you know, there are there there, it is possible that this can be undone, but not quickly. Right. And you've got to say, as disgusting as it is, if they have a majority in the legislature and they pass a bill. And if they have a governor and he signs the bill, that's the way it works. Well, I will Unless say this. A state, I mean, you could, in California at least, you could have a statewide referendum sure. to overturn that. Uh, that that's not, not an easy way out. Or, I have, I was just going to say, I have a colleague who has basically taken as his, his pet issue abolishing the lame duck. Um, in most other countries, um, mm-hmm. you know, prime ministers take their seats just a few days after their election. Um, Justin Trudeau uh, was sat as the prime minister, I think, like five days after he was elected. Um, having a lame duck session is unique to the United States in a lot of ways. Um, you know, this doesn't happen most other places. And it's it's a strange thing because they would never do this for another governor. And this is so obviously directed at sure. this Democratic, sure. this incoming. Yeah. So, yeah. so like you said, of course, if they have a majority um, and a governor who will sign it into, I mean, it doesn't matter if they have a majority, if it passes and they have a governor yeah, who will right. sign it into law, like it's the it, law. it is what it is. But like, 
I'm not convinced it should be, um, at least as far as, you know, having a lame duck session goes, because their argument is that they are trying to make the branches of power more equal. There's a tweet from the like Wisconsin Assembly GOP where they were like, you know, oh, no. we don't yeah. think that one person with this one individual with the stroke of a pen should be able to undo legislation that's the result of listening to the people of Wisconsin. The thing is, the people of Wisconsin elected the individual who holds the pen. And so it's, it's you know, none of this makes any sense. Um, none of their arguments make any sense because they're not good faith arguments. No. Uh, I love that idea of killing the lame duck. I hadn't heard that before at all. It's really smart. Yeah. I mean, it would apply to Congress, too. Yep. yep. And, you know, this year there's, there's not... Um, the same sort of like power grabs or or kind of lame duck moves are not happening simply because one of the things they would do, they have the votes in the House to defund Planned Parenthood. And this had come up as mm-hmm. potentially a lame duck move, um, you know, but with Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski in the Senate, the it, it can't pass the Senate. So, you know, it, it, it's not just a, a state legislative issue. It's it's something that when they have the votes uh, on the national level, they'll try. And what I th- found particularly galling is that in Wisconsin, the Republicans are saying, "No, we're just, this is this is in the interest of good government. This right. is is in the interest of making sure that we still have a voice and that there's a level playing field." Uh, well, you know that was the issue before the voters, and the voters decided they didn't they wanted a new governor right. to take the state in a new direction. And now the state legislature say, no, we're going to decide, not the people. Right. And and frankly, you know, I think it's... Poor losers. I mean, it's sore losers it's sore is what losers, they really are. And it's, I think it's offensive to think that your voters can't, you know, make that decision for themselves. Um, you know, they're, your voters are smarter than we give them credit for a lot of the time. And they elected who they elected. Um and and that's what they wanted. And and I think it's it's a really weak argument to say that, you know, this is them trying to make government more equal or more because it was never. Of course, because, like I said, it, this is none of this is a good faith argument. None uh, of this was a problem when Scott Walker was governor. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but as you said, we saw the same thing in North Carolina. Yep. And there are rumblings of, of the Michigan legislature. Yeah, there's some similar stuff in Michigan. Um, it's not quite as extreme. The Part of why Wisconsin has gotten more attention is that it's really expansive. Um, yeah, it's not just the limiting, governor, it's the attorney right, general as well. The attorney general, they're limiting, they're looking to limit early voting. They're, this bill had a lot wrapped into it. Um, there is some. There are some efforts underway in Michigan to that that aim to undermine the newly elected Democratic uh, governor, attorney general, and secretary of state to kind of limit some of their legal power and uh, appointment power. Um, it has not progressed quite as far as Wisconsin, but it is absolutely something that I will be keeping an eye on, and that that everyone should be keeping an eye on. As I, I think is really kind of interesting to point out, uh, as a few other. Um, people uh, have noted all three of these uh, newly elected uh, statewide officials are women. And and it's um, mm. sort of interesting to, to think about. In uh, Michigan. That. Yep, in yeah, Michigan. Right. Yep. Uh, so, um, Adi Baird, of course, you can follow at Think Progress at thinkprogress.org. Um, uh, you, you did mention that already um, we're, we're, we're not finished with the midterms for, for sure. 
But 2020 is already creeping in. It sure is. Uh, and this week, uh, on several fronts, 2020 was creeping in. You uh, probably are as disappointed as we are uh, that Michael Avenatti will not be running for president. Oh, no. I know. I hate How to, sad. I hate to break the bad How news. How sad. But... <laughs> Man, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that, that he would even talk about running or that anybody would even... Consider it. No it the one time wanted Michael Avenatti to be president except Michael Avenatti. Like, no one wanted that. Um, and of course, he was the recently the arrested on suspicion of domestic violence. Yeah. He yeah. would have been terrible and unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, for many reasons. Yep. Right? I mean, what did he bring to the table? No. Yeah. It was, it was honestly. But it was a, 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 just a. Just a joke. One Just down, a, a sick joke. Fifty yeah. to go. <laughs> All right. But uh, I thought he had already made a decision, but now the reporting is that he's still leaning in that direction. But uh. Deval Patrick also looking like he's not going to run. Right. I mean. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Right. Um. So. That's interesting. Uh. I don't know if that particularly and, surprises me. I. You know. I think that we're sort of in that time where this field it looks like it's going to be so enormous. I think that's going to scare some people off. I think that, that we're going to get a few stories like that. I, I hadn't seen that from, from him, but right. that so makes sense. Like, yeah, we're starting to see the dropouts. Those are two. Yeah. Uh, but at the, on the other hand, you know, Julian Castro, I ran hit him in mm-hmm. Miami. Uh, he's out there. I mean, Kamala Harris is going to decide over the holidays, she said. Elizabeth Warren's working mm-hmm. on it over the holidays. Sherrod Brown now is saying he's working on it over the you holidays. Know, I- Really find Sherrod Brown interesting as a candidate. There's a lot of buzz about Sherrod Brown these days. So, by the way, on a related issue, he was uh, he met yesterday with Mary Barra, the head of GM, as being a senator from Ohio. He met with Rob Portman, also the Republican senator, and Tim Ryan, uh, the congressman from Youngstown. Um, but um, um, Sherrod Brown saying we're going to try to work with GM to bring this plant back uh, in Ohio. Uh, After all, we saved GM before, we can do it again. I was here, it was my second year in the Senate when we began the process on the banking committee of the rescue of GM and Chrysler. Uh, We saved, we taxpayers, this government saved that company. I mostly want Sherrod Brown to be president so that we can listen to his voice more because he sounds like if Alex Jones had gone to college. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. About Sherrod Brown yeah. is, I don't think that he is, in a lot of ways, what a lot of Democratic voters will want. I think that they want a person of color or a woman really badly. I think that Sherrod Brown would be a really good pick, though. He's a really kind of, I, I find him to be, um, when I've reported on him and, and met him, and I find him to be really thoughtful, and I think that he understands the party and, and what they need and I, I find him to be a really interesting candidate i would be really interested to see i, I bet that he does better uh, in the primaries than uh, a lot of us expect well let's start by saying that hillary made a huge mistake in not picking him as her vice president instead of dull, dull i don't think Tim it would have swung the election but i think it would have been well, a better choice i'm not sure about that she lost by seventy-seven thousand votes in the midwest and he's from That's the Midwest, true. and he speaks he's to the people. He's beloved in the Midwest, too. And he speaks to their people yes. the way she could not and did not, and Donald Trump did and Bernie Sanders did. And, you know, when Sherrod Brown talks about the dignity of work, 
Yes. And we have to have, show more respect for workers, and we got to f- be fighting for more workers. That's a winning message. He also— uh, So pair him up with a woman of color. And yeah. Maybe you have a winning character. All I I'm mean, saying is there's—I'm not endorsing anybody yet, but I like him a lot. And I do there's too. a lot of buzz about him now, and people are saying, hmm. I, I think that's true. Maybe I, he's um, the one. What do you think of uh, Andrew Gillum? For 2020, uh, I love Andrew Gillum. I love Beto O'Rourke. I'm, you know, I'm still love Joe Biden. Joe Biden says I'm the most qualified person. I don't think that's to true be at president all. of the United States. I but. think that Joe Biden should not run, but that's just me. You know, I mean, this is this, and this is all. The, all of this is us sort of just talking around the fact that this is going to be an enormous Absolutely. field. Yeah. It is going to be a chaos primary. No, but back, Andrew, I don't want to put that down to to to, to, to be too quick to put that down. I think he'd be terrific. Ter- yeah, there was a story yesterday that he's thinking about it. I yeah. think he would be he a should. really wonderful candidate. And we know that Beto O'Rourke has already met with Barack Obama to pick up yep. some tips from Barack Obama on running. And so I hope he's seriously considering I think considering it's healthy too. I think for some... there to be a good field, and, and I think it will spur good conversations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've sort of said that a younger Bernie Sanders to me would be ideal, of male course. or female, and um, and so Beto O'Rourke or Andrew Gillum, or even Sherrod Brown, all three of them would fit that bill. I think that yeah. they're, you know, I, I've been Go. surprised. I think right. Elizabeth Warren also sort of answers that question for some people. Right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break because we want to be joined by uh, our good friend. Aswan Subsang from Daily Beast uh, standing by. Uh, very interesting uh, reporting that I've seen nobody else doing about uh, Donald Trump and the debt uh, from Aswan Subsang. Quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Here we are now on this Thursday, December 6th. Hello, hello, hello. Great to uh, have you with us. And uh, as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., uh, Addie Baird is here with us from Think Progress as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Uh, and we have got an extra little surprise, not surprise guest, but welcome guest. We knew he was coming. Uh, one of I our good friends. I here. <laughs> Aswin Subsang, hi from Daily Beast. Aswin, it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. Right, it would have been just funny if I was just walking by and just <laughs> walked in. I was like, "Let me sit down for your syndicated radio." show. It's happened before. It happens all the time. You know, people I live just around walk. the corner. I should just swing by. Yeah, for people the just, free coffee. Yeah, yeah, and people, just like to get some takes off. <laughs> sometimes when we're when things are a little slow, we just send Ray Rogers downstairs. To grab somebody who's walking by, you know, because we're so close to the Capitol mm-hmm. that you never know who's going to be walking by, right, uh, at any time. Uh, by you the make way, jokes, but it's happened. People have just sauntered in here before. It has happened. Bernie Sanders, like, saved a girl from a, from getting hit by a car, like, right around the corner the other yeah, day. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Not How that long ago. stepping off the curb and he just, like, yeah. grabbed her. Yeah. Not that long ago, uh, uh, Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's just walked in with a ton of ice cream and sat in with us. You Remember guys that? have the weirdest life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do indeed. Uh, now, I know what both of you guys are thinking and probably everybody watching on television or watching online is thinking is, where did I get that great scarf that I'm wearing today? Mm, well, I got to tell you. By the way, this is one of my very, very favorites. Uh, this is a hand-woven scarf by my wife, Carol Press. 
the real talent in the family, as I always say. This is the time of the year when you're looking for something special for yourself or for someone you love, right? Holidays, Hanukkah gift or a, or a Christmas gift or whatever. Check out our website, BillPressShow.com, and follow the link. Click on the link to Carol Press Scarves. Each one of them hand-woven, no machine here, hand-woven, uh, this is Rayon Chenille. She also does them in bamboo. Lots of beautiful colors and designs to choose from. Don't you like that? Ray? I love it. Isn't it? Kel showed me it, your. It actually, uh, it's classy, it's huh? really pretty. Yeah. Kel showed me the the studio when we came over for like the garden party. I yeah. was in awe. Right. It's so amazing. She's out there cranking them away every day. So uh, check in. Bamboos are really selling really fast, but so are the Rayon Chenille. Check out the website BillPressShow.com, uh, and um, at, and the link to uh, Carol Press Scarves. My, there is so, so much to talk about. I want to start with, there's a story today in the uh, Washington Post by our good friend David Farenthold, mm-hmm. Uh showing that the uh, Trump International Hotel down here has uh, it's doing pretty well. And one of the reasons it's doing pretty well is because the Saudis have been very um, attentive to booking rooms in the Trump International Hotel just to show what good friends they are of the President of the United States. David Farenthold reports... Uh, that they didn't wait very long either. In the first three months of 2017, the Saudis booked 500 nights in the Trump International wait, Hotel. what? 500 <laughs> nights in three months, uh, showing their love for Donald Trump. It will be fascinating to see what happens to the Trump International <laughs> Hotel in Washington, D.C. after the Trump presidency <laughs> is over. Because right. the right. reason, and perhaps the only big reason, or significant reason, the place is staying afloat financially right now is because Donald Trump was president. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys remember, but before um, he was elected in November 2016, there was an expectation among people who like know the hotel business in downtown Washington, D.C., that if Hillary became president, um, uh, the Trump International Hotel, just a few blocks away, just a stone's throw away from the White House, would fail because um, it was coming in completely under expectations for all uh, the this dip, the different types of buzz and room bookings. And the price for each room mm-hmm. or your average room for each night was well above the heads and shoulders of um, the price for your average room at any other comparable, and you could easily argue, better luxury hotel nearby in Northwest Washington, D.C. So the reason this thing is staying afloat is because it's the oh, Trump era, it's the yeah. Trump administration, and this is an right. easy way to curry favor, not just with the administration, but with Trump world. And if you're going to hold a gigantic fundraiser for a Trump entity or a pro-Trump entity, why would you not do it at Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, and that's working. And we don't know- Or Mar-a-Lago. Or Mar-a-Lago, we don't, or the Sterling International, or whatever the Trump International Golf Course over in Sterling, Virginia. But particularly, particularly here uh, at the uh, at, at the Trump Hotel, and people know if you want to um, maybe in Washington run into, I don't know, you know, John Kelly, or maybe Sir Stephen Sanders, Miller, Wilbur Ross, Steve, yeah, Rudy Giuliani, yeah, Don yeah. Jr. Everybody hangs out in the lobby exactly. of the Trump International Hotel, right? Yeah. Anybody who's a, anybody in Trump world, that mm-hmm. is, you won't see like I don't know a lot of Obama world or Hillary world hanging out there. But you know they're not president, right? So uh, at any rate, good 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 reporting as always on uh, on uh, David Farenthold. And there is is the related issue, of course, uh, across the street is the old FBI headquarters. 
uh, where the FBI wants to move its headquarters out of Washington, which would open up that space. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that Donald Trump himself has gotten involved in those real estate negotiations, telling the FBI, no, you can't move because we don't want that space to become available to another developer who might build another hotel to compete with me across the street. Always right? the businessman. <laughs> Always the visual-minded <laughs> real estate mogul. <laughs> Always the bottom line. It's it's sort of like not even worth saying this anymore, but remember when the when like Eric and Don Jr. Uh, were like, we're not going to have anything to do with politics. Mm. Like, we're just going to mm. handle the business side of things. And Trump said the opposite. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not it's sort of like saying that now is not even novel. And it's just like, but this is all his involvement in his business. Like, so it's a, it, always the real estate mogul, uh, never quite the president. No, no, no. Nobody <laughs> believed it when they said that. No, of course not. And now we just well, know it's just the opposite. Yeah. Especially not Don Jr., who has explicitly taken a political role in his life. Eric Trump, much, much less so. But uh, folks like Don Jr., Lara Trump, certainly Ivanka, Trump and Jared Kushner. Uh, it's a family affair. Yeah. Well, and, and Eric has like been making the Fox News rounds. I feel of course, like more so even even in the last few months. Like I feel like he's really kind of given up the gun on pretending that he is also not part of this like political. Oh no, 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 sure, sure, sure. Um, in terms of media appearances, yes, yes. Exactly. But I mean, in terms of like actual campaigning and sure. behind the scenes campaign and administration machinations, yeah, right. He's far more removed than those yeah. because uh, somebody has to be. Okay, right. so why why would Eric Trump? Um, come out and make a case of um, declaring war basically on George Conway, the husband of Kellyanne Conway, um, which he did this week. I mean, saying that was right. Well, was, George Conway showing great disrespect for his wife by disagreeing on with Donald Trump. Well, I think at this point, basically all the high profile Trumps, including President Donald Trump, have weighed in on George Conway. <laughs> he's kind of this easy target because he's this like. Now, pr fairly public, never Trumper, who's of course married to one of Trump's um, uh, senior White House officials, Kellyanne Conway. So he, he's he's just an he, kind of an easy, every once in a while punching bag. Why not? Yeah, it, it's very low hanging, never Trump fruit. Uh, but it doesn't seem to stop George Conway from. I mean, what what speaking is, out, right? The thing the thing is, I think it's it's. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a really good Washington Post piece, um, and I don't remember who the reporter was, but they interviewed Kellyanne, and she started to she started to take hits uh, um, uh, about George. She was talking about how his Twitter is blah. blah and she was like, "Oh, we're on background, right?" And he was like, "No, we're we're super not." And this like, is uh, this was Washington Post's uh, style section reporter uh, Ben Terrace. Yes, who when. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was talking to him for this profile on the Conway couple. She tried to uh, siphon off part of the conversation to go anonymous. She wanted to be like a source close to the couple. Right, right. A, a, a separate, distinct from the part where she yeah. was, of course, giving an on-the-record interview for this profile and say that you can say as a source close to the couple or something like that, that George Conway's tweets can can easily be perceived as a betrayal of their marital vows. <laughs> the, the reporter had to inform her, it's like you never said on background 
which is the magic words that yeah. you, you, the subject and the reporter, have to agree to to suddenly switch to an anonymous setting. Right. And then they have an <laughs> argument about it. And then Ben Terrace, who's not a White House reporter, so he doesn't have to worry about blowing up his own spot, just prints the the transcript it of his so excellent article. it was so excellent but i bring this up because like even kellyanne uh wants to like take shots at her own husband at this point he has become this like really easy punching bag for everyone in the trump orbit right so i want to go back to donald trump uh, the businessman ever the businessman ever trying to make money out of the presidency uh and he sort of conducts a presidency the way he conducted his business in, in uh, certainly in, in 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 addition one other way he does so is in uh his um maybe love of if not tolerance for rolling up a lot of debt you've been reporting on Donald Trump's how that's reflected in his attitude toward the national debt yes. and good job by the way thank tell you tell us about it thank yeah. you so much uh yesterday morning so that would be wednesday morning i keep forgetting what day it is yes okay today's thursday excellent cool um I, I thought we were already in February. Let's uh, <laughs> try for the time. Are you okay? <laughs> drink more coffee. Drink some more coffee. So, yeah, right. Okay, now I'm good. Um, so uh, my Trump World reporting partner, uh, Lachlan Marquet, and I mm -hmm. uh, published a story uh, yesterday morning at thedailybeast.com, which I encourage all your listeners and viewers to read. All right, there it is. There's um, the plug. Dailybeast.com. Mm -hmm about how, uh, g generally speaking, is about President Trump's view on the national debt, which, of course, um, he being a member of the Republican Party, they're supposed to deeply care about. They're supposed to, at least rhetorically, all be massive deficit and also debt hawks. Yeah, deficit hawk, right. That's it. But, what it means um, to be a Republican. But as we know, in it, well, in <laughs> many ways, um, Donald Trump is not your traditional conservative doctrinaire Republican, uh, but we can get to that on uh, a lot of issues, right. right? And we can get back to that because even those guys, when they get into power, have a massively convenient way of forgetting about the national debt. By digress, we're talking about Trump here, just for a second. So one of the um, uh, anecdotal centerpieces of our article, which we kind of led with, was a story we'd heard from a source who was in the room when Donald Trump said this to uh, senior officials back in early 2017, so mm. ju just mm -hmm. at the dawn of the Trump era. Um, he was being shown actual, like, blown-up charts and ch shown data during a discussion with uh, um, several of his advisors about when the national debt, from a conservative's perspective, you know, the famous, like, hockey stick chart, was expected to explode and kill us all. So during this meeting, while these uh, um, uh, more traditionally conservative advisors and senior administration officials are trying to convince him um, um, of this. And it's like, okay, this is perhaps why you also have to ta tackle entitlement spending or take a whack to or reform, quote unquote, to Social Security, Medicare, whatever, all kinds of massively massive, but also massively popular spending. Uh, Trump specifically calls out the year at which the hockey stick graph spikes and says, and I quote, according to a person who was in the room and, and heard this and told me there was zero indication the president was joking. And I quote, yeah, but I won't be here. And then moved the meeting along, meaning that the date 
that these senior officials were citing was after 2021, so after a possible second term of President Trump. Uh, so it kind of was Donald Trump saying, "What do I um, care?" R- right, and also the quiet part loud, which was, "Let's let it be some other president's or perhaps even some other generation's problem." Um, and yes, that sounds sort of darkly hilarious in a Trumpian mold because of his propensity to just say these things that sound ridiculous, but also sort of tell a darker, more uncomfortable truth, which is all presidents since Ronald Reagan, um, including those who have talked a big game about the national debt, have a very convenient way of not caring about it, at least in terms of policymaking, once they have the presidency or once they're in power. Certainly, like more quote-unquote traditional Republicans have been guilty of this for years, if not decades. Um, Starting with Ronald Reagan, Yes, I, absolutely. Uh, so right. the funniest thing about this anecdote to me was that it sort of, right. it, it showed that in substance he is no different than these other Republican presidents. It's just only in presentation where he's but different. But it brings, brings true to me, doesn't it to you? Right? Well, and this is, I think that this- You can hear him saying that. Of course, I absolutely, you can absolutely I don't, well, hear I won't him be saying here, so that. So what the hell do I care? But I think that this is also sort of, this is something that, uh, People in power are guilty of, particularly, um, you know, with climate change. You, you hear this is this is um, a, a favorite argument of uh, many Republicans about a, a whole litany of issues, and it absolutely makes sense. I think I think uh, Swin makes a really good point that it's like this is we we always talk about the ways that Donald Trump is this particularly unique. Republican, that he is changing the party, that he and in a lot of ways, he's super not. He's just sort of the like obvious conclusion of these years and years of talking a big right of talking a big game about the debt and then getting into office and basically not saying the words, well, I won't be here. And he just says, well, I won't be here, which is exactly what Reagan and Bush and Bush, you know, all of them do in practice. He just says the quiet part loud. Right. Right. And also Democratic presidents as well. But the Democratic Party is not supposed to be the party of, oh, we have to slash all these popular entitlements to deal with the debt. The debt debt, debt is very much a concern. Democrats have their own versions of this, for sure. No, absolutely. I also want to put one fact on the table, which is there's only one president, modern president, who did balance the budget and did make some progress in paying down the debt, and that was Bill Clinton. And it quickly was lost once George W. Bush came in, remember, with the big tax cuts. Mm. And within three months, the surplus, Bill Clinton handed George W. Bush a surplus. And that surplus was lost, squandered within three months by George Bush with the the tax cuts. So speaking of the Bushes. There was one exception. Yeah, Mm. I just want to point out. Um, uh, Yes, speaking of the Bushes, so Donald Trump was at the funeral yesterday. And it was not about Donald Trump, but it really was about Donald Trump, wasn't it? Such is life now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, everything's always about him. But sure. But um, was, I just found, I don't know whether you did, that so many things that were said, so many stories that were told, so many adjectives that were used, what everybody at the cathedral was thinking about, they didn't, his name was never mentioned, right? But everybody had to think about, oh, boy. That's not Donald Trump. <laughs> well, even what the take? former um, 
Canadian prime minister who was speaking there sort of mentioned, referenced Donald Trump with a, a, by not, uh, not by name, though, because he started talking about NAFTA and how even though uh, Bill Clinton signed that, it, it started to be uh, birthed under the HW uh, administration. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the former Canadian PM was like, oh, yes, and H.W. Bush's great achievement of NAFTA, which was then revised, consummated and revised and improved by subsequent presidents, plural. And then at that point, I, I think the CNN live show I was watching immediately flashed over to Donald Trump <laughs> because well, he's certainly one of the presidents who has, shall we say, well, changed big, NAFTA. Changed it, yes. Yeah. He, he um, said he's going uh, to pull out of it entirely. When, right, take a wrecking ball this. to it. It's not exactly a part of HW's legacy that the, uh, this current president is. Brian Mulroney true. also said that, at the, that when he was when George H.W. Bush was there that um, every world leader knew that when they were dealing with the president of the United States, they were dealing with a true gentleman. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You and know, again, the camera flashes back to Donald Trump. I think that the that one of the great things about the Trump presidency, frankly, is the way that it has forced us into conversations because of how extreme, you know, a lot of our discourse has gotten and a lot of our policymaking has gotten. It's forced us to have some really interesting and important conversations. Um, obviously, when a president dies, you begin to think about the kind of general um, reaction to a presidential death, which until you have to think about Donald Trump dying and the way that a state will react to that, um, you kind of, I, I think a lot of us don't think about sort of the whole, how exactly you should handle the death of someone as nuanced as HW. And and I think that having to bring Donald Trump into these conversations and bring him into state funerals um, is really good for us to kind of think about the ways that we remember people. And I think that uh, a lot of the conversations about HW have been really interesting and really nuanced and really valuable. And, and because in a lot of ways, like we're all saying, they're about Trump, too. They're about the ways that H.W., um, you know, laid the groundwork for Trump and about the but it's also about, you know, how do you how do you think about someone as a whole and how do you think about, you know, death as a country? And and I think it's been good to kind of have some of these conversations and, and Trump has moved them along. Uh, I mentioned Indeed. this I mentioned this earlier. So I'd love to get your take on. But when when um, John Meacham, the first speaker, mm. said this was. George H.W. Bush's creed, life creed. Tell the truth, don't blame anybody. Now, you can't tell me everybody in that cathedral was thinking about the orange-haired man in the front row. Well, I I don't know what a lot of people... Tell the truth, don't blame anybody. If there's anything just the opposite of Donald Trump. I mean, (laughs) President George H.W. Bush did a horrifically poor job of following that mantra as well. So let's not fool ourselves here. But uh, Trump, um, uh, the uh, funny thing that I keep thinking about is uh, to your point about how uh, H.W.'s death and all of those people gathered in the cathedral, including Trump and past presidents, makes us think about the Trump presidency and how we got to Trump. Something that I keep thinking about is that when I feel there are too many Washington writers and um, 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 
pundits who have commented on not just this funeral, but also John McCain's recent funeral, which yeah. was also in the National Cathedral here in Washington, D.C., and have sort of uh, propped them up as examples of Washington's civility and decorum that are so blaringly missing in the Trump era. And I think that is sort of a, to use a cliche, an in-the-bubble mistake that way too many uh, um, uh, pundits or people in politics or political writers make when they see these sort of things in the Trump era. Because to me, what I see is a room f representing several presidencies, the Clinton presidencies, both Bush presidencies and the Obama presidency. And a huge reason of why Donald Trump is president is because so many people across this country voted him in as an explicit rejection, not only of Obama, but of Bush, of Clinton, and another Bush. So but, it's a mistake to hold these things up as, oh, the, this but, is a gathering of the hashtag resistance. Just it's time, not. I just said it's, that. But it's also a mistake to put Donald Trump in the same category as public servants with George with uh, George Bush and John McCain. He is the exact opposite of what they were as a public servant. I, I don't think it's a mistake to put uh, Donald this Trump in the same category as the president like George H. W. Thanks at all. We're out.